Hey there, it's Wojtek Kutyla of UX Booster and this is my first ever experimental podcast. Listen to it and don't worry if the quality isn't maybe up to scratch. I'm gonna make it better over time. Do let me know what you think after you finish. My first guest is Andy Loban, a VP of UX and Design at Fanduel, a large international company. I've known Andy for years, so that chat is very informal. Andy's gonna tell you about what he's looking for in UX designers and how they can grow their skills to become a part of such good team as his. He's also gonna tell you about how he works and how he coordinates the moves of his big team in those difficult times. I found it extremely interesting and I think you'll be the same. So put your headphones on, enjoy, and let me know later on how did it go. Have a great listen. Take care. See you later. I'm here with Andy Loban. Hello, Andy. Hi. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Awesome. Let's start then. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I am Andy Loban. I am the Vice President of UX and Design at FanDuel. That's great. And what does FanDuel do? So FanDuel is uh, a sports company, a sports tech company. It originally was a fantasy sports company. So we, we made a uh, and continue to make a fantasy sports product. Uh, but we now also do sports betting and sports content as well. All right, that's great. So Andy, at the beginning of this, I'm going to ask every person I'm talking to uh, to tell me about the book they've read lately that impressed them. Uh, is there anything that you have in mind? Anything you've read lately that made an impression on you? Yeah, so I am about 75% of the way through a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, I believe is probably how you mispronounce that, which is about building habits. It's It looks at how you can build your own habits, but it also looks at like how marketing and uh, those kind of, and and data have have looked at habits over the last century or or so to entice consumers into into doing certain things and buying certain things. So it's some of it's very sort of useful and interesting, and some of it's very like scary and manipulative or or talks about the manipulation. So it's uh, it's interesting. It's quite funny in places. Black magic, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, but uh, thank you for that. That's very cool. Uh, coming back to um, what we want to talk about, can you tell me what is it like to work as a VP of UX at Fanduel? What's that job like? It's a lot of fun. It is. So I I head up a UX and design team. Uh, so we that's what we've kind of branded ourselves as uh, internally and externally, I suppose. Uh, UX and design, which covers product design. Uh, UX research and UX writing as well, uh, which UX writing, some people will call that like content design or other uh, such things. So there's, yeah, there's those three disciplines in the team. I had that team up. There's around 30 of us at the moment uh, split up into different teams by the different products that we produce. Um, I don't do any like hands-on design uh anymore um i may go back to that but i will contribute to design i'll give feedback a lot i'll i'll sit in sessions where we're kicking off projects and like direct design to some extent but i'm not sitting using sketch or anything uh very often anymore and people don't really like to let me do that so much anymore do you miss that some days 
but I really like what I'm doing. Like I'm still contributing to design and I really love the team that I'm working with. I really love coaching them. Uh, so my, my job is about helping them be better and, and being successful in their job, which is hands-on design work or research or writing which is different but it's it's about success through other people rather than you know me actually delivering things uh, myself anymore so yeah occasionally i miss it and occasionally i i will break out sketch or uh, like i i made a web page for us recently and i'll do the odd thing here and there just to have some fun with it okay just to stay on the top of things to uh, yeah. to see whether you still remember what it's like to be in the grind yeah exactly exactly see if i remember all the keyboard shortcuts or not all right so it looks like you have a pretty big team and i wonder what it's like with challenges related to running such a big team there must be some can you tell me a little bit about that yeah there are there are plenty of challenges so uh the the first challenge we have is that we are located in six different locations in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Porto, New York, LA, and remote at the moment. So there's a lot of challenges there, obviously. We have to collaborate remotely. And obviously in, in our current situation, that's everyone is remote. And not only are we remote, but we're in different time zones. Uh, we have people on the West Coast of America and then people in Europe and everything in between. So there's an eight hour time difference between LA and Scotland, for instance, and uh, that is complicated. So uh, one of the things that we really have been trying to work on over the last six months or so is, is trying to communicate and collaborate asynchronously through, uh, you know, not having to be on the same Zoom calls at the same time. And how do we document things in a way that somebody in LA can pick it up at 11 o'clock in the morning their time when everybody in Scotland has gone home for the day and those kind of things and you know the the kind of typical UX sessions that we would run where we're doing design sprints or we're doing discovery work or we're doing whiteboarding sessions things like that we've had to find ways to do that remotely and collaborate that way which is not without its challenges obviously We've got challenges with people from different countries and different cultures and how, how you communicate to them in, in a way that everybody understands. And, you know, people come from, from different backgrounds and therefore have different expectations of who's going to make a decision or, you know, who's the most important person in the meeting or when you give people feedback, some people expect feedback and then some people are a little bit offended because feedback like open feedback is maybe not part of where they've come from either the companies they've worked for or, or the culture that they come from so that's interesting coordinating quality across different products in different teams is is very complicated as i'm sure anyone that's that's tried to do that will attest to we you know we have things like design systems and we have a lot of different sessions where people review work from different products and things like that but it's it's about trying to design products where you can't see the joins between teams which is not always that easy to do so those are those are some of the the challenges i think the challenges for me personally are 
being at the right level at the right time is complicated. So I'll go from speaking with our C team members about board meeting presentation or a, a longer term strategy to talking to my boss about hiring plans to talking about the feedback in the pixels in some designer's work or something and everything in between. And that is complicated, uh, you know, being, having your head in the right mind space of either very much down in the details or, or very much head in the clouds and, and also trying not to get into the details too much because people don't need me helicoptering in and giving lots of feedback with no context and getting back out again. So I'm, I try very hard not to do that. I'll go in, I'll ask a bunch of questions, but I'll try and try and make it very clear that these are not expectations of things that need to be done. They're just, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? From a, you know, from a high view where I can see all the different products and all the work going on that maybe somebody who's heads down in a project isn't going to, necessarily have all the knowledge of I suppose um so yeah there's there's a lot of trust there that needs to you need to trust your team I have I have managers that report to me and then I have people who report to them so you know it's a it's a big team with a bit of structure to it I can't I couldn't possibly be involved in all that work so I have to trust that my team is is great and that they are doing the best job they can and and my job is to help them do that but at a higher level by helping strategy and things like that that's pretty awesome it sounds really involved and uh i you know we for, for the for the listeners we, we used to work together quite a while ago yes we did and i know a part of that journey that you went through i i, I kind of witnessed it with my own eyes but i i wonder can you tell me just a little bit more because it's actually quite interesting how did you arrive at, at this position obviously that that is a you know a pretty serious uh, stuff you're into right now so um how did this happen? If you could just briefly outline this to me, that'd be uh, quite cool, please. Yes, absolutely. So I uh, started working, or rather I went to university when digital design was very, very basic. Uh, nobody was really had, had that figured out yet at all. This is the very early 2000s. I did a, a, a graphic communications course that involved print design and publishing and printing and also web design. And I'd been building very, very basic rudimentary free websites on Lycos or uh, GeoCities or, you know, these kind of things for, for a wee while. And I, I kind of knew that that was where I wanted to go, but it was very, very rudimentary at the time. So I did that at university, graduated, went actually into a print design job at a magazine for a while. Then I freelanced for three years. So I did print and digital work uh, for a few years. Then I joined a, a digital agency, which is where Voitech and I worked together, uh, Storm ID, and worked there for five years. And while I was working there, and actually even before that, I had met quite a lot of people through the Edinburgh kind of tech scene uh, through a thing called Refresh Edinburgh, which was a, a meetup for digital people when that really largely just meant kind of designers and, and developers really at the time. And I'd made friends with quite a lot of these people and a lot of them ended up working at FanDuel and I decided it was time for a change and I ended up 
moving there to, to work with some people who I knew were great and just joined as a designer. And then over the last four years have moved up from designer into, uh, I was a principal designer. There, there weren't any titles or anything at the, when I joined, there was a pretty small team. And, uh, then I was a principal designer for what that's worth. And then about two years ago, I, I became the, the head of the team. Um, and then we've done some title things that are not that important since then, but essentially I've, I've headed up that team for about two years and it's grown from just design. Uh, research was a separate thing. There were no UX writers at the time. Uh, and there were maybe eight ish designers, product designers at the time. Uh, and I've grown that to yeah 30 at the moment with writers, researchers and product designers. That's pretty awesome. That's a big team. So, um, you just mentioned that uh, you kind of help it grow. So like you, you know, you recruited those people, I suppose, in some ways or, or directly or indirectly. But uh, yeah. so what I'm interested in is um, from the position of somebody who's, who's often recruiting people for UX roles, uh, can you please tell me what kind of qualities are you looking for in a person who's applying for a job and what makes a good UX designer to you? Yeah, so I think an important part of this is that outside of the technical skills that are the people skills, what some people might call soft skills or what have you. And both the technical and the soft skills, I, I think differ per company to some extent. What we are looking for, and I guess I'm trying to make this as universal as possible. I'd be looking for obviously some kind of UX training at a minimum, formal or informal. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, a university course of, of UX, of UX uh, design or what have you. Some basic visual design skills as well. I think that we're, we see quite a lot of people getting into UX who don't start with the foundations of design. And, and when you start to talk to them about layout and eye tracking and visual hierarchy, just, you know, the, the basics, not we're not talking about being amazing visual designers, but understanding the theories of that stuff. I think that's super important. I think an awareness of research, even if you've not done any research particularly, is, is very, very important. Uh, willingness to work with researchers, even if you're not going to be the one doing that research. I think the same with engineering, um, you know, being aware to some extent of the limits of engineering, of the what's going on in the background, being able to talk an engineer's language to some small extent, I think goes a very long way. I think that feeds into things like accessibility, understanding, I don't want a UX designer that doesn't care about accessibility. And that's probably on, on two different levels. There's, you know, there's the, the, the user needs there, the customer needs there from a, a wide range of people. And we're not, obviously, we're not just talking about people that specifically need specific accessibility features, but accessibility is good for everybody, as, as we all know. But also on a technical level, being able to understand how that might get done from engineering is, is very important. And I, I think the other thing in terms of knowledge and skills is probably product and business awareness as well. So again, like, Fairly surface level is fine, but I think we also see a lot of designers who are, and, and not just UX designer, but just designers in of all walks of life uh, who don't care about 
the business side of things, don't care about the, the, the kind of product side of things and are very focused on design and maybe the customer, but those are not generally the people who thrive in companies. If you can explain why we would do something from a customer point of view and what that would, what knock on effect that would have for the business, I don't think you're going to get particularly far. Now I'm talking about, you know, private sector and, and obviously public sector is a little bit different, but if you still think of it as a, a business of some description and what that organization's goals are, you know, it might not be financial, it might be something else, but there's got to be metrics around this stuff and we've got to be looking to improve those. And a huge part of what we do is, is advocating for the customer side of that, but we need to be aware of the business side at least and be able to work with business people. And I'll, I'll be the first to say that I have not always been the best at this in my career. And I definitely see the value of it now. So those, I think, on the, on the kind of the more technical skills and the knowledge side, but then I think the other side of it, and I, I bang on about this all the time with my team, and I'm sure they're very, very bored of hearing it, but... I keep telling them that as far as I'm concerned, design or research or writing for that matter is 50% execution and 50% working with people. And I think there is a huge gap there sometimes of people who are technically very good, but they might be the kind of stereotypical designer who just wants to have their headphones on all day and not ever go to a meeting and not ever talk to anybody and, just grind out designs and, and hand them over to somebody. And I think those days are long gone. So I think people who can work with people, who can collaborate, who can talk to engineers and product managers and business people and, and you know, might not know that much about their world, but can interact with them and try and help them solve problems by asking the right questions to get to what they're really trying to do is really just as important as the technical skills. Thank you for this. That's very interesting. So it looks like uh, a UX designer should have quite few skills. And you can probably imagine that for many people who just are starting up, that's, that's a hard thing to, to do. Um, what do you think could accelerate their careers? What could they do in order to uh, get better at those things? So I would say there are obviously lots of things that we've just talked about, lots of skills that you could go and learn. But I think... First of all, I would say the thing that's probably done the best for me in my career is, is just to say yes to things. Um, grab any opportunity that comes along, you know, potentially find new opportunities for yourself. But if somebody asks you to help out on something, if you are approached by, you know, to work on a, a little project, like think about just doing it. Like, and don't think too hard. <laughs> just do it. Um, it will almost always lead to something else. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it, but you'll know almost immediately if it doesn't feel right. So I think saying yes to lots of, probably too many things has really helped me. I think, you know, being able to speak the language of business engineering, things like that. I think that there are short courses that you can do online for free. Um, I was looking at one the other day that's uh, called something like MBA for designers, which is, I think, a very short course that, you can do that kind of teaches business basics to designers. So that's one. There are kind of very rudimentary engineering courses that you can do online, like learning the very basics of JavaScript or something like that, that might help in the same way. And I am talking the basics here. I'm not talking 
being able to actually write JavaScript in um, in any useful way, but it, it turns you onto the language of how these things go on. I think the other things are probably work out where you are on the, the spectrum of this, of UX design, let's call it. I think at one end you've got UX research, and then at the other end you've got probably UI design, and then there's everything in between. And I think people don't necessarily know where they sit on that. Do they want to be largely researchers who maybe do some wireframing? Do they want to be kind of product designers who do, let's call it UX design and UI design? Do they want to be just UI designers? And where, like which, which parts of that do you want to be? I think that will help you focus in on, on potential jobs and opportunities. I think get a mentor if you can. I think that's a, a hugely beneficial thing. I know it's very difficult to do, but I would say reach out to people and, and talk to them, ask them for advice. Um, you know, join, there are plenty of websites out there now where mentors offer their mentorship, especially in things like design. Um, so there's plenty of stuff out there uh, for that. You know, if, if people email me, I will help them out as best I can. And I think the other thing is deciding like what kind of company you would be successful in as a junior. So I think there are probably two options that suit different types of people. One is joining a bigger team that's good at coaching. So you're going to have, you know, that's what I think my team is. Um, you know, you're going to have people there who are more senior than you, who have more experience than you, who part of their job, like part of the job of, of everyone in my team is to coach other people whether that's formally or informally and you're going to learn an awful lot very quickly by doing that or i think the other option is maybe a startup where you can be everything to everyone and learn on your feet by figuring it out as you go and making a lot of mistakes and i don't think that's for everybody but i think there are people who are who would really thrive in that situation but you have to be somebody who can go and grab those opportunities and learn a lot to yourself very quickly so that's it's a different thing whereas i i would say personally i i wouldn't say that people should join a two or three person team that's going to be two or three people forever i don't think you're probably going to learn that much there in that kind of situation all right thank you for that andy uh, and do you think you could share those links with us to those mentoring resources and other things Absolutely, yes. I'll uh, I'll send them over to you and you can put them in there. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. So the next question I wanted to ask you, you just mentioned that obviously a person has to figure out what kind of company they want to work for and, you know, find a job. But what's really hard at the beginning for many of people who listen to my stuff or read my, my, my writing is that they obviously are not really working in, in the UX industry yet. They're just wanting to get in. And that's very difficult, especially nowadays with all the, you know, apocalypse stuff going on in the background. But I often recommend that they could build up their portfolios just uh, using some totally non-commercial experience or even things that they would just build up themselves. What do you think of that? I think that I would recommend the same thing. But I think there are limits to that. So I think if you want to go and find a small charity, for instance, that can't afford to pay for somebody's services, but, you know, really needs some work and it's something you really believe in, I think that, for instance, is a, is a really good way to potentially get a project, a real project under your belt. 
I don't really believe in these redesigns of Facebook and redesigns of Instagram. I think if you want to be a UI designer, I think that's fine. But, you know, we talked about having kind of business knowledge and engineering knowledge and those kind of things. I think those redesigns of, of well-known products are, they don't take into account any kind of limits or any kind of business problems or anything there. And therefore, I just feel they're very, very empty most of the time. I'd much rather see a real project for a very small company or a charity or, I don't know, your friend's fitness business or something like that. And there are there are plenty of things out there. I think it, you've got to be careful about doing free work for companies who can afford to pay for it. Uh, there's been plenty of chat in the industry over the years about doing that kind of free spec work. Um, I think that's a, a dangerous game to play. Um, so I, yeah, I would say try and find friends, friends of friends, charities you believe in that are small, those kind of things, and, and try and get some real uh, work under your belt. And then I think the, the most important thing then is to write a really good case study of everything you did in that project. So take photos all the way through, take notes all the way through. Um, we get a lot of portfolios that are just pretty pictures or links to a website, like saying, oh, I designed this. And that's not very useful because A, you can't really tell what somebody's involvement was there. And B, you can't see the process that they went through, the constraints they were under, the requirements from the job in the first place. So you, I don't think you can really evaluate that work very easily. Whereas I want to see somebody who understands that these are the kinds of processes that you would work through to get something actually shipped in a product or on a website or what have you. Case studies is the, if, if you are a junior who has case studies, you are in the top 5% of junior portfolios I've ever seen in my 15 years. That's amazing because I was going to ask you about uh, a thing that people who work on their portfolios could do to, to put them kind of ahead of competition, but I think you just answered this and it's, it's how real this stuff is and how well is it documented. And I think that you would probably agree with me saying that it's not to do with the quality of that process, it's more to do with the line of thinking because obviously those people are junior, so you can't really expect miracles. Would you would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, like you say, they're they're fairly junior. The the choices made are sometimes going to be great and sometimes going to be not so great. But the fact that they can show you their thought process and their work process and that they understand why they're doing what they're doing at each step of the of that journey is much, much more important to me. And you will learn over time with experience how to make better choices in that in that uh, process and how to adapt that process for different projects and things like that. But that shows that you have that foundation that a lot of people just don't have because there's a lot of, you know, it's very easy to get into design. It's very easy to start designing things on your home computer. That doesn't mean that you have any real base knowledge or training or understanding of how that process gets done that's just potentially that's just copying other people's style which is fine and that's how everyone starts right but it's not actually useful as an employee okay 
Awesome. We're going to be wrapping up, but I have a final question for you that's going to take you back to your roots again. Think of you when you were starting, you know, when you were just going, getting into the industry, really. What could Andy of today say to this junior Andy back then? Lots of things. You were wrong about everything. That's the most important one. Absolutely everything you believed was fairly wrong. I think don't judge other people's processes and other companies' processes and those kind of things by what you read on their blog. I think that's a big one for me. I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, actually. And, you know, it's it's very easy to look at a company like, I don't know, Instagram or something and, and read some blog posts from their design team. Spotify is a, is a very good example. You know, they've got Spotify.design, which is a lovely website. It's just been updated in the last few days. It talks about what their design team is doing. There's all sorts of stuff on there. It's fantastic. And I'm not saying that they don't have amazing processes and great culture and everything. I'm sure they do. But you can't tell that from a blog post and it's very easy to say what I am doing is not good enough or what this company I work for is not good enough. What they're doing is not good enough because look at this perfect example of a design process that Spotify use every single time they do a project, which isn't true. It's just not, you know, these things are not reality. They're ideals. So I think that's very important. Trying to understand the business earlier would have been beneficial for me. I'm not saying become a business person. I'm saying just understand where people are coming from. And then I think I'd probably tell my junior self that I was one day going to be a manager of managers and just laugh at myself a little bit because I don't think I ever thought that was going to be a thing in my future. And I really, really like it, which is the most surprising part. That's a great answer. Thank you very much. Andy, uh, well, thank you very much for your time and for your knowledge and for your expertise. Hopefully, I'll see you sometime soon when, uh, you know, the, the pandemic kind of goes away and we can go for a coffee as uh, we used to. That would be very nice. Thanks for your Thanks. Well, I hope that was enjoyable. And if you liked it or you didn't like it, simply get in touch with me. I would like to know what can I do better for you. And before I produce enough podcasts to put them online, I'm going to be sending them to you over the next few weeks. There's plenty of interesting speakers lined up. So just get in touch and make sure that I know what you need. Have a great day. Take care.